It's Christmas season. Some of y'all, like it was Christmas like October 1st, which y'all are weird. But for the rest of us, um, it's Christmas time, Christmas season. And uh, so we love that. We love just everything that that means and all of that, the activities that come with that. And we know that it can be a stressful time, but we also believe that it's a great time to reflect and and celebrate, you know, the birth of Christ, and it's going to be it's going to be a great month. And I'm excited to be starting a series today called "The White Elephant in the Room." The White Elephant in the Room. It's going to be good. Uh, my seven-year-old nephew, his name is Tucker. My brother has four kids, three boys and, and a baby girl. And uh, my seven-year-old Tucker recently put together a Christmas list. My brother and sister-in-law said to their kids, hey, we need to know what some things you'd like for Christmas so that we can, you know, buy a couple of the gifts. So could you put together um, a Christmas list for mom and dad? And the kids went and wrote their list. And Jeremy texted out a, a picture of Tucker's Christmas list to the family a few weeks ago. And it was too good not to share with you. So I wanted to give you my seven-year-old nephew, Tucker, I wanted to give you his Christmas list, unedited, that he gave to his parents. Okay, here we go. Number one, Tucker would like a laser tag set. It's a good gift, laser tag set. Number two, Tucker would like a pool table. <laughs> number three, Tucker would like a car, a real car. Uh, number four, Tucker would like a golf set. It's a good gift. Number five, Tucker would like $1,000 that is real. Would anybody like $1,000 that is real this morning? We feel you, Tucker. Number six, he would like a desk with a light. Number seven, Tucker would like a bookshelf. And evidently when he wrote number seven, he thought, well, I don't really have any books. So number eight, he'd like 100 books. (laughs) Number nine, Tucker would like a playground. Number 10, Tucker wants a table. 11, he wants a surfboard. Number 12, he wants a refrigerator. Evidently, we're getting to the theme of the list. He's planning on moving out soon because he would like a refrigerator. Number 13, he wants a couch. 14, he'd like 10 picture frames. 15, a computer. Now we're off the moving out. What's a dirt bike? Number 16, he'd like a dirt bike. Number 17, a lacrosse set. Number 18, what every man wants, a shed. Number 19, a kid's trash can, as opposed to the adult one. We don't want that. Number 20, a kid's grill that is real. Not a fake kid's grill. We want a real one. Number 21, the most affordable gift on the list, a candle. 22, he'd like 10 packs of flowers. I don't don't know if that's dozens or packs. I don't know what's it. Number 23, oh, that's right, because... There's, that's right, he told his parents there's 10 girls at school he wants to give flowers to. It's pretty smooth right there. Number, oh, that's what the 10 picture frame, Andrea's filling me in here. Ten, and the 10 picture frames. He's going to put a picture of himself in the 10 girls. Okay, gotcha. It's making a little more sense now. 23, a shelf. And 24, a kitchen table. Now, here... Here's, when I read this list, here's what I, my first thought when I read this list was like, I kind of want that stuff too. 
Like, have you ever felt that way when somebody says, like, hey, what, what are some things you're wanting for Christmas? And you know they mean, like, what are some $10 things you want for Christmas? And you're like, a new car, uh, a house. Like, you know, you ever, like, make that list in your head? Like, man, I want those things. I think all of us, whether we admit it or not, we've probably put together a list like this before. I'm not going to get anything on it, but, man, wouldn't it be nice if... I got those things. Let me ask you this question. Anybody in here ever got a really just awful, tacky, terrible Christmas present somebody gave to you? Let me see your hand. Maybe you're sitting beside them right now, so you don't want to raise your hand. Uh, Parenting.com asked their female readers, what are some of the worst gifts you've ever got? And you know what's bad? Let me just say this. You know what's bad about getting really bad gifts is that you have to put on that fake like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Which if you ever give me something and I go, oh my gosh, this is so great. I did not like it. Okay, so just a heads up. I just gave away my till. Um, but you know, you open it and you're like, oh, I'm, this is so great. It's like a, it's like a hand-knit glove. This is like so awesome, right? And what makes it worse is when you spent like good money on them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I feel very judged right now. I don't know what's happening right now. I should stop talking about, okay, all right, let's move on. So... Parenting.com, evidently I've never got bad gifts. Parenting.com asked their female readers, what are some of the worst Christmas presents you've ever received? These are great. A lady named Heather said, a student gave me a large statue of a naked fertility goddess, which was awkward because I taught fourth grade. Kristen said, my now ex-husband gave me a nicely wrapped Macy's box with four extra large bags of beef jerky inside and some cash. And some of the guys right now are like, that's not a bad, that's a great gift. Cash and beef jerky? That's fantastic. Okay, um, Victoria said one year my mother gave me a light pink rabbit fur poncho, um, and my mom knew I was allergic to rabbit, which is interesting. Andrea said, uh, a mouse candle. I've never heard of a mouse candle, but the mouse is glued to a real mouse trap, and when you light the candle, the mouse melts. Okay. That's grace. Melinda's grandmother gave her a gift card that only had a $1.24 left on it. You know you want to do that sometime. One year, a student gave Irene a pound of box, a pound box of C's candies chocolates with the half chocolate missing, a half a bite of one of the chocolates missing. Um, Tracy, when she was 13, her grandmother gave her a hot pink shirt that had a stain on it, and Tracy knew she got it at the garage sale because there was still a 25 cent sticker on the front of the shirt. Diana said she was given a broom and a dustpan one time. And then the worst one, which is awkward, and I don't even think I'm allowed to say in church, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Pamela said that she got a bra and panties from her dad. I don't think you're safe. you can say panties in church, but I just said it twice. Okay, um, so I want to talk today about giving lame gifts I'm going to talk about giving lame gifts. Every December, our church takes some time to talk about money. Specifically, we talk about generosity and we talk about tithing. 
And I love talking about the topic of money because in over 15 years of pastoring people, there is not one issue that causes more chaos in the lives of people than money. Not one. I mean, we've talked through and counseled through a lot of issues. You've got, you know, adultery and divorce and depression, and you've got all these things that we're all dealing with. But, I mean, overwhelmingly, the number one issue, the number one topic that causes more pain and chaos and trouble in people's lives is money every single time. It dominates our thoughts. It dominates our heart. If you don't have any, you're dominated by trying to figure out how to earn more of it. If you have money, you're dominated by trying to figure out how to make more so you don't run out of money or how to spend more. And Jesus obviously understood what a, what a big deal money plays in our lives because the three years that he ministered, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he talked about money and generosity more than any other topic. And I know maybe you've heard that before, depending on if you've been in church and they've talked about money. But I don't want us to rush past that. I want you to process that because Jesus is the ultimate authority. And so he could have talked about anything. Like knowing the future the way that God knows the future, he could have set us up and given us some more clear definitive things about social issues that we're all wondering why Jesus didn't talk about more. He could have talked about abortion. He could have talked about gay marriage. He could have talked about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He could have talked about, you know, what political party is the best party. He could have talked about all those things. And overwhelmingly, he talked about money because he knew that where we feel it the most where we're impacted the most, where we're the most stressed, where we're the most confused, where we're the most excited is about, is about money. And so I want you to know right up front that we have two goals. I always want to be very honest and very upfront about uh, motives and goals. There are two goals uh, for this series that we're doing. The first goal is that those of us in the church family, those of us in, in the room who find ourselves in a, in a bad place, in a tough spot financially, We find ourselves either in a hole that feels too big to get out of, or we find ourselves confused or having bad habits that have put us in a tough spot, or maybe we're not in a terrible spot, but we're just trying to get more organized and understand and have goals for for our money. Uh, The first goal of this series is that if that is you, that you would take a step to participate in the Financial Peace University class that's going to be starting January the 17th. That's a Tuesday night. It's a nine-week class. It costs $99. We don't make a dime off of that. That's all the cost for the materials and registering for the class. We offer, uh, we've offered FPU for years here at the church. Over 75 families have graduated. And uh, George and Julie Green teach the class. I can't think of a better uh, family, a better couple to teach the class because they've gone through it. They've lived it and have put it into practice. And God's doing some incredible things in their family and in their life. And so... They teach the class every Tuesday night, nine weeks starting January the 17th. If you can't afford the $99, then we'll help you. You know, you got to put some in, but we'll help you with some scholarships or, or try to, to figure out a way to get you in the class. But I would love for you to take that step. Here's what I want you to know. No shame, no guilt. We're not judging you. My wife and I have graduated from FPU, uh, Craig and Kristen, uh, Rob and Melissa, uh, uh, Clark and Allie, I mean, I could just keep naming people, John and Christine, like we've all gone through it because we've all found ourselves, I mean, I've done more stupid than you have done stupid with money, I guarantee it, 
And so this is not like, oh my gosh, did you see they signed up for FBU? I can't believe it. You know, what's wrong with them? Like, no, that's not the way this works. If you want to take that step and you want to find yourself in a better place financially, I really believe 2017 could be a, 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 a defining year. It could change your life and maybe even change your family tree. And so first things first, we want you to get signed up for our FPU class. The second goal that we have through this series is that those of us who call Hope City Church our home, that this is the place that we attend regularly, the second goal is that you would begin or begin again to tithe. I don't know your church history or your experiences or your preconceived ideas about about tithing or churches and money, but I do know this. Every single person that I have ever known who has made the decision to put God first in the area of their money and in giving and tithing, every single person is in a better place now than they were before they started. Some of them are in a better place financially, which is great. Some of them are in a better place emotionally with contentment, with joy, with some sin areas in their life that had to do with selfishness and greed. Every single person that I've ever known, thousands who trust God tithing are in a better place now than they were before they started. And so unapologetically, I stand up here today and say that it's my goal to help those of us and those of you in the room who are afraid to take that step to put God first in the area of money, uh, I I want to help you to take that step. Uh, Statistically, 80% of of people who believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, active Christians, 80% do not regularly give or tithe. Now, that's an epidemic in my mind. If I found out that 80% of the people in the church were having an affair, we would have an emergency meeting and we would figure out what's going on and how we could help everyone to fix that problem. If I found out 80% of the people in the church were addicted to heroin, we would have an emergency meeting and we would figure out how to do that. So if 80% of the people in the church would say, I I do not trust God to be in charge or Lord and Savior of the area of my life financially, to me, that's a serious issue. And it's not because I'm asking for anything from you. I want something for you. I don't want anything from you. I want something something for you. And so that's why we take the time to do this. If you are a guest with us today, I'm pumped that you're here because of the one or two issues in my life I'm most passionate about. This is one of them. And so you get to really hear my heart today. Every person that I've ever talked to about trusting God in the area of giving and trusting God in the area of tithing, I've never met one who didn't have the desire to do so. I've never met anybody who says, yeah, thanks, Jason. I love Jesus, but I hate what you're saying. I have no interest. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. Nobody ever does that. Every conversation I've ever had with somebody, they say, I want to, I just don't think I can. I want to, I just don't think I can. It's never a desire issue. Have you ever, like, gotten a bad gift and somebody said, oh, it's just the, you know, it's the thought that counts? Well, okay, that's fine, I guess, for bad gifts or whatever, but that's not the way it works for making decisions in life to, to put God first or to make ourselves better. I mean, we all have good intentions. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to clean the garage out. I'm going to save some money. It's not the thought that counts. It's the action that follows up the thought that counts. And, and so, uh, you know, the Christmas story is all about giving. It started at giving. The, the wise men showed up in Matthew chapter 2, and the Bible says they found where Jesus was, and they opened up their treasure chests, and they gave uh, Jesus gifts, good gifts. So you can't really celebrate Christmas without talking about 
about giving. And so the question today is, are we willing to open up our treasure chest and give to God? Has anybody in the room ever heard of a Jesus juke? You know what a Jesus juke is? Have ever heard of that? No, I'm so excited I get to teach you this today. So a Jesus juke, now when I tell you, you're going to spot it everywhere now online. A Jesus juke is when somebody online makes a statement, a spiritual statement, like to showcase their superior Jesusness. Like, like they make you feel like junk because they're so spiritual. It's a Jesus juke. Like somebody's like, oh, well, you know, you'll share this post about Kim Kardashian a thousand times, but you won't share this post about Jesus. That's a Jesus juke, all right? Right, you know what I'm talking about? So I went online and I found four of my favorite Jesus jukes that I see all the time. And you spot them everywhere now that I've told you. You'll see it all the time. Just start hashtagging Jesus juke. But um, I brought a couple of these. Let me, let me throw this up. Throw that first one up there. So you can make it early for Black Friday shopping but can't make it to the church because it's too early. Jesus juke, right? Like you read that and the, the goal is like to make you feel bad. I'm sure Jesus is up in heaven like, that's right, you tell them. God's not offended by Black Friday shopping, okay? Let's look at the next one. Santa Claus never died for anyone. That's a Jesus juke right there. Come on, why we got to make people feel so bad? You know what I mean? Like, let let me give you one more. I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like Jesus. That's old school Michael Jordan for you right there. Like, Like, that's a Jesus juke. One more. This is probably my favorite. Some of y'all need to be chasing Jesus the way y'all chasing Pokemon. (laughs) So now you know. And the reason that I wanted to explain what a Jesus juke is, is because I'm about to Jesus juke you, all right? Right here, I'm about to give you one and tell you one. And I just wanted to set it up before I gave it to you. Here it is. God gave us his best. God was not up in heaven saying, I really want to save mankind, but I don't want to give up my son. So, like, what could I do to, you know, figure out a way to kind of throw this together? No, he said, I'm going to give my best. And so if God gave his best, why won't we give our best to him? And so I want to read a story for the time that we have left today out of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, if you have a Bible just kind of following up on that idea of the wise men opening up their treasure chest. You know, Matthew 6, 21 says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. That, that you're, you're going to care about where you invest. You're going to care about the things that get your treasure. And so there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen for you. It's such a powerful principle. It's about a guy named Elijah and a guy named Ahab, a king named Ahab. And Elijah, in a previous chapter, showed up and told uh, King Ahab that because of the sin in his life and because of the, uh, the things that were happening, that God was, was judging the land and there was going to be a drought in, in the land. They didn't believe him, but sure enough, there was a drought. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting with verse 1, it says, later on in the third year of the drought... The Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So to just, you got to understand what's going on here. It has not rained for three years. There's a drought, there's a famine, 
and it's gotten very severe. It's gotten bad. And so we're going to skip down to verse 30. But what happens until we get to verse 30 is Elijah shows back up to Ahab and he said, hey, God told me to show up and tell you that it's going to rain. But Ahab was so angry with, with Elijah because he blamed Elijah for the drought. And, and he said, I'm going to kill you. I don't believe in God and I'm mad at you. And so Elijah said, well, let's have a contest. You worship Baal. And so you get all the pastors, leaders, teachers of Baal, you get them together and let's go up on Mount Carmel and, and I'll go, I'll just represent God and they can represent Baal and we'll pray and worship and sacrifice and whoever's God shows out, then that's who we'll know is God and that's who we'll all worship. And they were like, okay, fine. So they go up on Mount Carmel and the, the prophets, pastors, teachers of Baal, hundreds of them, they began to do like rain dances and they began to like cut themselves to sacrifice blood and, and chant and hoot and holler and all this stuff. For hours, they tried to get, you know, Baal to, to show off and to show up. But we know it didn't happen because Baal's not God. God is God. And so nothing happened. And, and like we talked about a few weeks ago in Chase the Lion, Elijah's so confident about what God is about to do that he starts taunting them and, and talking trash to them. And so in verse 30, they finally get done. And in verse 30 of chapter 18, Elijah called to the people, come over here, all the people. So not only are the prophets of Baal there, and not only is Elijah, but all the community, all the people are there, thousands and thousands of people. He called the people, he said, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons of water, which three gallons of water is not that drastic, unless it hasn't rained in three years. Then that's a lot of water, right? They piled the wood on the altar, he, uh, he cut the bull into pieces. He laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. So don't rush past what Elijah just said. Elisha looks at these people who have not had rain in three years. And he says to them, I want you to fill up four large jars, four large containers with water. One question I have when I read this to Elijah Where's the water? It hasn't rained in three years. So why would God decide to use a method that required water when it hadn't rained for three years? You do a little research and you find that there's not a river. There's not, there was no like secret stream somewhere. It hadn't rained. The only water that was represented or available on this mountain was the water that the people brought with them. So, so follow me here for a second. So it hasn't rained in three years and the people are bringing the little bit of water that they have left and they've got it in a little container or they've got it in a flask or they got it in a cooler or whatever it is. They've got this water with them. And Elijah says, God's about to do something great, but before he does, fill up four large jars of water. And I can just see the people like, Elijah, like, where's the water? He's like, no, no, the water you got. I want you to pour that water in these jars. And I can just see the people like, I can't do it. I just don't think I can do it. I mean, how are we, this is all the water we've got, and what are we going to do? And so they finally convince themselves, and they take it probably very gingerly and, like, heart, you know, racing and, like, pour the water in. And maybe at that moment they expected God to do something incredible. And then Elijah said, now pour the water out on the wood. 
So, so just think about this for a second. So Elijah says, it hadn't rained in three years. You got a little bit of water left. Pour it in this jar. And they're like, okay, we'll do it. We're trusting you. And he takes it and he just dumps it out on the ground. What would you have done? And so then Elijah looks back at the people and he says, do the same thing again. Like that little bit of water, go find somebody else, get a little bit of water that you got left and they poured it out again. And then when he finished, he said, do it a third time. It was almost as if Elijah was challenging and pushing them and forcing them to give up everything that they had. Can't hold anything back, no secret stash of water. We're gonna keep doing this exercise until you give up what you have. And so they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove, I love that, prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself immediately the fire of the lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull the wood the stones and the dust it even licked up all the water in the trench and when all the people saw it they fell face down on the ground and cried out the lord he is god yes the lord is god then elijah commanded seize all the prophets of baal don't let a single one escape so the people seized them all elijah took them down to uh oh, got out of order here uh oh he took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, here's the last line. Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. I love this story. Such a simple principle today that I want to leave you with, and here's the principle. You can either hold on to the little bit of water you got, or you can have a rainstorm. You can either hold on to the little bit of water you got. You say, Jason, it doesn't make any sense. I feel like I'm in a drought. I feel like my finances are in a drought. I feel like my life is in a drought. And you're telling me, you're standing up there saying, I need to tithe. I need to give. I'm supposed to give 10% of my money to God, to the church. Like, I'm in a drought. And my response is, you can hold on to your little water cooler or you can have a rainstorm. I've never talked to anybody that said, Oh, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. It won't even require sacrifice. I've got an extra 10% laying around. <laughs> we live on 70%. It's no problem at all. Nobody's ever said that. Every single person says, I don't really know how we're going to do it. I don't really know how the math is going to add up. What are we going to give up? We won't even be able to pay our bills. You're telling me, like, what you're really saying that we need to do this? And, and I'm not saying it. I stand by it, but God is saying it. When we hold on to what we have thinking it's all we've got left and we can't let go of it, we self-prophesy. It is all that we have left. But when we let it go, God does more with what we give up than what we could have held on to. And so here's Elijah with the people in the middle of a drought, and he says, pour the water out. Do it again. Do it again. And they had to be going crazy, freaking out. Why is he asking us to do this? But once they obeyed in the middle of a drought, giving up the most precious thing that they had to their name, Elijah said, I hear a rainstorm coming. So here's my question. Would you rather hold on to your water jug or have a rainstorm? Would you rather hold on to your water jug or have a rainstorm? 
God said in Malachi 3.10, he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Look at what he said. I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out, rain down a blessing on you so great you won't have room enough to take it in. And then he says, try it, put me to the test. You want a water jug, you want a rainstorm. You want a water jug or you want a rainstorm? Because God says, when you're willing to let go of and give to me what is most precious to you, when you're willing to give what you think you cannot let go of, when you're willing to put me first in the area that feels impossible to put me first, when you do that, even if you do it hesitantly, wondering, putting me to the test, when you do that, I send rain. We could say God makes it rain, right? That's what he said. I didn't say that. That's what he said. So do you want a water cooler or do you want a rainstorm? I don't take it lightly, and we joke about it. I know that so many of you in the room are like a nervous wreck, even as I'm talking about this, because you're like, Jason, I make like this amount of money, and I pay this rent, and then I got these kids in child care, and then I got this and this. Why are you saying, like, I don't want anything from you. This is not about getting something from you. This is not about the church having to have something from you. This is about what I want for you. This is about what I want for your life. And as long as you try to live your life squeezing the life out of the little bit you got left, it's never going to amount to much. But God can make it rain blessings on your life. I shared this story a few months back. It's fitting to share today that Truett Cathy, the creator of Chick-fil-A, he loved cars. And he loved giving away cars. And there was a guy, a young man in his church who needed a car. He needed discipling more than he needed a car, but he needed a car. And so Truett Cathy said, hey, listen, I'm going to give you some preaching tapes. Let's listen to them, and then we'll get together and we'll talk about what's on the tapes and, and felt like this would be a way to, to disciple the young man. And on the last tape, before he gave them to him, Trick Kathy recorded over the last few minutes of the preaching tape and he recorded his voice that said, come to my office, I've got the keys to your brand new car. He gave the guy the tapes, a couple days go by, the guy doesn't show up. He reminds him, hey, don't forget to listen to those tapes. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. A couple weeks go by, he never shows up. He says, hey, don't forget to listen to those tapes. Yeah, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Finally, after two months, Truett Cathy realized he wasn't going to do it, so he called the young man into his office, and he played the last tape for him. And most of us, maybe in that moment, feeling bad, now the guy's learned his lesson, we'd give him the keys. Truett Cathy didn't give him the car. He said it was one of the hardest lessons that he's ever had to give and to teach. And the lesson was that to receive a blessing, we often have to take action first. So a lot of us, all of us, not a lot of us, all of us in here think to ourselves, if God would make it rain first, then I would give as much as he wanted back to him. Isn't that why we think? It just, that's not the way he does it. You step out in faith, scared to death, and you trust God. And then it starts thundering and lightning. And you realize that what you had to hold on to wasn't that much anyway. Because God makes it rain. And so I want to challenge you today, unapologetically as your pastor, as someone who loves you and wants the best for your life, I want to challenge you today to increase your generosity. 
challenge you to increase your, increase your generosity. And all of us, according to what the Bible teaches, all of us, according to what the Bible teaches, are instructed to be tithers. It's all throughout the Old Testament, but it's even in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 7, when they asked Jesus about it, he said, yes, you should tithe, but also love people more. That's what he said. He said, yeah, you should tithe. So it's a command that the Bible gives us to do, and it is a simple mathematic equation. You take all the income that comes into your life, you take 10% of it, and you give it to the local church because you're giving it to God, but you're giving it through the local church. It's not about putting a 20 in the offering or it's not about giving a homeless guy $10. We do those things. We believe in those things. That's extra generosity. But tithing is, God, we're giving you what's first, the 10% that is first. So when Andrew and I get paid through direct deposit on the first and the 15th, we grab our phone or I grab the phone. I text in our tithe because we want God to have it first because we would rather have a rainstorm than a water cooler. And so if you're here today and you would say, Jason, I, I, I'm okay. Like, I, I don't think I can do it, but man, I, I really want to try to do it. I want to encourage you to take that step. And here's what we do. We do this every year. This is not a surprise if you've been down here. We do this every year. We challenge you through a 90-day tithe challenge, a 90-day tithe challenge. It's a very simple thing. There's a green card that is available when you walk out today. There'll be somebody in the back who will give this to you. But on the back of the card, it just says the verse, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And because God said, test me in this, we feel very confident that he's not intimidated or threatened by us testing him. Because he said, test me. Only place in the Bible he said, test me. So we think he's pretty serious about it. And so it says, I'm committing to give 10% of all my income to my local church over the next 90 days. I've never given or tithed before. I've given, but never tithed before. I've tithed before, but I'm starting again. You can check whichever one is appropriate. Put your name, put your email address, and drop this in one of the giving boxes. And here's the commitment we make to you, not because we're trying to be clever, but because we're testing God. We're going to put God to the test. Here's the commitment we make to you. The end of 90 days, if you can say it didn't rain and God didn't come through and it didn't live up to what you said, we're going to give you all your money back because we don't need your money. We're going to give you your money back because God said, test him. We've done this for years and no one's ever asked for their money back because God doesn't fail. He doesn't fail, all right? I love you. And I, if you have any questions, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, it's a, it's a, I had lunch this week with somebody about it. I love to talk about it. I believe in it. It's changed my life and it's changed the lives of countless people that I could bring up here on the stage. And so if you're not tithing, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm just gonna keep pressing on you a little bit today. Take that step, take that step, step off that cliff, get out of that nest and trust God. I know you're scared. I know it doesn't add up. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you don't know how it's gonna work here and there. And I understand all of that, but you gotta let go of that water cooler if you want it to rain, all right? Let's pray.